We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Today is Sunday, March 20th, 2022, and Jonathan and I have the privilege of interviewing Pete from Creepy Little Book. That's right, the master of the mysterious himself. And we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about the Ark of Gabriel, Hollow Earth serpents, uh, Egyptian magicians, iconography, pyramids, and the lore and myth around Antarctica, UFOs, more and more and more. It just goes deeper and deeper. It's a great interview. It's fun. I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. If you like this podcast, give us five stars, maybe share it with a friend. That really is the best way you can help. Uh, And without further ado, let's jump into it. Your local writer's group is crap. Stop burning off your free time in the presence of introverted do-nothings. Instead, join the Goslings Writers Group live stream and podcast, The Goslings, a digital gang for writers. Writers who actually write stuff, who use typewriters, writers who name their pit bulls Hemingway, writers who write all the people who've ever offended them into their stories, then murder the shit out of them. The Goslings. We don't always act pretentious, but when we do, we wear f***ing ascots. Welcome to the Goslings. Right like a man, the typewriter. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Hey, everyone. I'm Jonathan. I'm Nick. And we are the Goslings. And uh, despite our relatively slow internet connection for the day, <clears throat> uh, we are doing the live stream. I will be talking to AT&T about this. <laughs> right. For all, the, for all the good it does. Absolutely. You know? uh, man, we have an awesome guest for you today. We have uh, one of my favorite online uh, YouTube content creators. Um, he is uh, the host and the creator of creepy little book he has been doing live streams and videos for years now um we love his content uh i would say he is the he is the arc mage of the arcane the sultan of the surreal the lord of the starry void the enomatark <laughs> of the esoteric i don't know what that means but that's so cool <laughs> the king of the creepies and the master of the historical pete from creepy little book what's up pete hey guys how you doing you forgot the part where you mentioned i'm a weirdo in the dark you are a weirdo in the dark you know what and that's what in the dark. <laughs> he's just a floating head in the void you know and well, uh, i i was gonna say he's more like the uh relevant uh george nori of the 21st century or the art bell yeah the art bell yeah of, uh, yeah thank you you yeah. humble yeah. me you humble me art bell is <laughs> an idol of mine and uh if i could be anywhere near as good as art bell was yeah well i'll tell you man the first time i came across your channel and i listened to some some of your videos and the way you do it live streaming every night i was like dude this is just like coast to coast this is awesome yeah. 
Yeah. This is awesome. That is yeah, the Coast field. to Coast was a, a big inspiration for me. Coast to Coast, In Search of, Unsolved oh, Mysteries, Sightings. Yeah. All these kind of uh, uh, esoteric programs that appeared over the decades. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Pete, I'm, let's see, I'm 38. Nick, you're 43. We don't need to talk about it. Okay, fair enough. But you're, you're about that same age, right? Like late, mid to late thirties. Is that right? I'm as old or as young as you need me to be. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's a good answer. But I remember watching uh, a sci-fi channel used to run in search of uh, all the time with Leonard Nimoy and uh, man, like the Patterson footage. Mm always was oh, like yeah. the creepiest one. Oh um, yeah. I remember watching that at my grandparents' house on the weekends mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's good stuff, man. And then, you know, I used to listen to uh, your live streams when I worked third shift from home about a couple years ago. And uh, man, those uh, it, Nick made the astute observation. It's like being a trucker listening to art yeah. Bell while you're on yeah. the road. <laughs> yeah. Thank right. you so much. Yeah, man. I really appreciate that. Guy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, we got a bunch of questions, a bunch yep. of topics we want to cover. Uh, Pete, sure. uh, you, uh, you know, we had asked if you wanted to get the topics as a preliminary, and Pete was gracious enough to just be like, nah, just shoot from the hip, man. Yeah, so, yeah. which we will uh, <laughs> after we do our toast, though. Oh, yeah, I yeah, forgot we, the toast. We got to do, we gotta do the toast because uh, I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah, fair right. enough. <laughs> what are we drinking uh, today? It, well, this is, uh, this is Michter's, Michter's. Small, okay. batch small Batch bourbon whiskey. Fair enough. Yes. Okay. Uh, you want me to start? Yeah, you start. So the way we do it is uh, uh, whoever starts, it's kind of liturgical. It's uh, One person says the first half, and then everybody else yeah. says the second half. Yeah, so, yeah. you uh, start. I'll yeah, do the sure. second one. Take up the broken sword of your father. And strike down the darkness. Mm. Mm. It's so yummy when it hits your lips. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So I want to get started by uh, asking uh, kind of a lot of this got started uh, probably two or three weeks ago when I was on your live stream uh, in the comments and I had asked you, um, I would be really interested to know, Pete, what your spiritual journey was Mm. Um, because uh, you cover such a wide variety of topics. Uh, I think, you know, you had mentioned being Catholic in your upbringing. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so I would just be curious to know as much as you want to discuss um, what your spiritual journey has been. Well, I, uh, I was educated in the parochial school system for about 12 years. Uh, so like most of my upbringing was really steeped in Catholicism, uh, at least in the education department. Um, and, you know, there was a point in my life, probably when you're around a teenager, that, that doesn't really click as much as it does when you're young. And, uh, you know, you find this kind of rebellious uh, streak. And I was no exception to that. Um, you know, I, uh, I spent years as a, as a musician and, you know, living that lifestyle, uh, you know, kind of ambivalent towards religion for uh, most of it. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily uh, atheistic, but not really concerned at all for, uh, you know, religion. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, though, I use a lot of religious imagery and morality tales in the music that we would make. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that went on for a good period of years. I would say that uh, after that, I started leaning towards atheism, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not uh, in an in intentional sense, but I kind of lost, I completely lost my faith is a way to put it. Like, and yeah. uh, uh, 
uh, it was just gone. You know, it wasn't like I was woke up one day and said, I'm going to be an atheist. You know, it was just <laughs> gone. Right. It, just couldn't, yeah. it, it was like, it was so intangible. Uh, so yeah. that's something I dealt with for a handful of years. Uh, and I think once my children came along, uh, that was a paradigm shift for me. You know, really? Uh, once you've got some yeah. skin in the game, you certainly hope for uh a a divine plan i think yeah yeah absolutely mm. i think that's a very common story that a lot of us can relate to you know mm -hmm. i think a lot of people have oh, yeah. that sort of journey because we we all have a falling away at some point and you know and that falling away in a lot of ways is healthy because you need to you need to sort of jettison the the early stuff that you know maybe helped guide you when you were little but it doesn't work for you later and it's sort of like taking a piece of iron and running it through the forge and making steel yeah. out of it yeah you well and, and you're right about the kids too i mean once uh once you have people in your <laughs> life that you're totally responsible for and you love them more than yourself yeah. uh you're like uh you know what i definitely want the very best for them and I, uh, you know, so I am, I'm like, I'll gamble with me, but I won't gamble with them. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah, true absolutely. even with spiritual matters, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, what was the band? Oh, there were two of them. The first one was called anger and addiction. And I think you can still find some of them songs on SoundCloud. Okay, cool. Uh, very, uh, thrash type punk band. Uh, oh, nice. and we played the, the local underground scene and, uh, you know, we did you know, minor shows here up and down the East coast, but, uh, you know, it was cool. The biggest band we opened for was the misfits. Really? Uh, so that was pretty rad. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, we played with bands like the unseen, uh, another great punk band from Boston, the casualties from New York, the virus, uh, who's, uh, I mean, they're from all over the place. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was a good time. Uh, Anger and Addiction was a, uh, a real passion project for me. After that came a band called Last Year's Youth that was a little more radio-friendly, I think. It was mm -hmm. more melodic, still in the vein of punk rock, but more like The Clash uh, and less mm -hmm. like a band like uh, DRI, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What did you play? What was your instrument? Drums, guitar? Mm, I was the singer, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Silken melodic hose. No cowbell, so. no cowbell. No cowbell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was the singer. Yeah, so, nice. uh, I wrote most of the lyrics. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. This is the same you microphone. I've been using this microphone for 20 years. Really? I'm going to compliment you on that mic. That's cool looking. And uh, what kind of mic yes. is it? It's a Shure 55 SH Series 2. Nice. Dude, you has got mic. that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. it's got that vintage classic look to it. And the sound quality is always amazing. So, yeah, yeah. Are you stuck with are you like committed to it forever? You know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there. I, I just I would rather have to find a way to hook this up to a computer for the rest of my life. <laughs> than I uh, have to switch over to something more modern or uh, or not as yeah. uh, beautiful. And it is right. pretty. That's yeah, man. The thing, man. It's got that Art Deco, you know, just beautiful mm -hmm. aesthetic to it that mm -hmm. like none of the new stuff, you know, unless it's intentionally angling for that retro look. None of that new stuff looks like that. No. So, yeah. well, cool. Um, So I got a bunch of pet questions that I <laughs> like pet project oh, subjects yeah. that the I question gun is loaded. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's the revolver. The mag is full. Let's say that. 
Um, I really wanted to ask you first about um, <clears throat> what your thoughts were on the Ark of Gabriel, because it is, mm. to me, one of the strangest stories. And I have to tell you, I found out about the Ark of Gabriel because of you and your... Uh, before you did the live stream, you did a bunch of shorter videos that are excellent. I love your back Thank catalog. You. And it's so it's so diverse. It's everything from Enoch and mysticism to the Jason project to Bigfoot, Dogmen. You know, it's just, it's everything. It's everything you would ever want to explore as far as esoterica. But uh, I had a real hard time <clears throat> finishing up the fifth Heavenly Realms novel. And uh, I didn't know what to do with it. It was a project that I abandoned like 12 years ago. And uh, once I learned through you, through the creepy little book YouTube channel about the Ark of Gabriel, I was like, this is it. This is like the, the key. That's the missing piece. It was. It yeah, was a missing piece of the puzzle that I needed for the plot. So I personally have to thank you, Pete, for oh, for solving my plot problems. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, the Ark of Gabriel is this fascinating thing, and it, and it pops up, you know, about a handful of years ago in the zeitgeist. Uh, right. Uh, there was a time when this Antarctica topic was just sizzling hot, and, and that was the moment. And Fortunately, like I had seized on the research immediately. Like I, I really uh, had the opportunity, the time and the drive to like get down into it. And I had drilled down into as much Antarctica as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. uh, and this Ark of Gabriel thing along and I said, I had to find some evidence for this. I needed to know if this was real. And it took a lot of evidence into the Ethiopian uh, Hindu Orthodox Church to yeah. kind of trace the lineage of this object and whether it actually existed. Uh, so was there definitive proof there was something like this? I do believe that there was an object revered as a sacred item mm -hmm. in ninth century Ethiopia that could be considered the Ark of Gabriel. Yeah. Does it go missing at some point in history? Is it maybe taken back to Mecca at some point after the Muslim conquest. I don't know, yeah. but I speculate that's the only way it could have made its way back to Mecca to be discovered by the construction team that was digging under the Kaaba when they found it. Yeah. So I think it was uh, an interesting story, one that really has many twists and turns involving high profile figures from Buzz Aldrin to the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church the Pope mm -hmm. himself, John Kerry, John uh, Kerry you know, yeah. these people that were traveling down to Antarctica, the reported stories of creatures down there known as the Guardians, who mm -hmm. Kerry Fine. met with, invited himself to meet with. Uh, then, uh, purportedly, there was an earthquake off the coast of Christchurch, New Zealand, mm -hmm. in retaliation for this uninvited, uh, you know, drop in. Yeah. Uh, these guardians didn't like that. So uh, they were able to uh, use whatever technology they have to conjure up an earthquake. Was that around um, 2017 when that yeah, happened? Yeah, right around then. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know the, how real all that is. But. Right, I know. Well, and the, the interesting thing that I had heard, um, and this is sort of when you get into that QAnon movement, you know, is that John Kerry being a uh, spokesperson for the deep state had gone down to Antarctica to plead with the Guardians to um, to not let Donald Trump become president. And they basically <sighs> told him to 
bugger <laughs> off. And then when okay, and, they said John Gary, that's the guy. Right, that's the guy you send, Birch, you know? Oh, man. And, and then he gets back to, he has a layover, I guess, in New Zealand, and that's when no. the earthquake hits. I, I, no. Just like you, I don't know how true that is, but that is sort of woven into the, the fringe of that conspiracy theory. And it's uh, it's interesting stuff. Who do you think the Guardians are, if they're real? I I don't know. Uh, they could be uh, ultra terrestrials from the inner Earth. Yeah, they could be uh, leftover pre Adamites who came to colonize Antarctica. Yeah, uh, you know, millions of years ago, there was the Hefferland manuscript that speaks of seven cities that were created down there, mm-hmm. almost out of mm-hmm. Lego blocks too. They were plastic cities. They were built out of a polymer that we don't mm. understand by a technology that's far advanced from ours. But these were cities, nonetheless spotted throughout antarctica built at a time when the continent was tropical by martian refugees who came here in flying discs now the funny thing about the flying discs is that the hefferland manuscript predates the 1947 sighting by kenneth arnold at mount rainier where the term flying saucer was coined from really so uh was there some truth or validity to the hefferland manuscript i don't know it it, it could be as far-fetched as the shaver mysteries at the end of the day Right. Yeah. Um, Well, there's the interesting thing is that like Antarctica seems to be the focal point or the nexus, the hub for so much of uh, of the mysteries that we all kind of delve into, whether it's whether it's ancient aliens, whether it's uh, Atlantis, whether it's um, uh, Tartarus and the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it, it all, you know, and even even with like the flat earth community you know, with uh, with the NATO map and um, and the treaties, the Antarctic Treaty. It's just that is the most fascinating, mysterious. Yeah, no continent. one's allowed to fly over it. You think they'd be more concerned about like the North Pole where countries are actually crowded around it pretty closely, <laughs> right, yeah. not Antarctica. Yeah. You know, yeah. they treat it kind of like the moon. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. they treat it like the yeah, moon. Yeah, to like, an extent, to an extent. I, you know, the, the, there is the case to be made for an entrance to the hollow earth. Yeah. at the south pole uh and that would explain a lot of the secrecy you know uh, e- even if you go with that flat earth model and, and some of those are really far out but right. even if you go with that there's there's still the idea that someone's keeping the true nature of antarctica a secret yeah yeah uh, and i think that's something that you know although the, I'm, i lean more towards the direction of a hollow earth Mm-hmm. That maybe is the middle ground I could meet somebody who has more of a flatter model in mind. That's where I could meet them in the middle. Yeah. That's At kind the of what I somebody's kind of covering up the true nature of Antarctica. Right. Yeah. There's there's just where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's just mm-hmm. something there. There's an itch there that everybody is sort of trying to scratch at, you know, and, and no one is allowed to. I mean, the <clears throat> the ancient cities um, that predate everything else, the flying saucer mentions, which predate everything else. And then for me personally, I was always fascinated when it came to Antarctica with um, with the fact that H.P. Lovecraft talked about it in uh, at the Mountains Madness, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, aside from the Call of Cthulhu is probably his most popular work. It's certainly mm-hmm. his longest. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that was 100 years ago. And then uh, and then there were tangential um, uh, connections to Aleister Crowley. You know, and Aleister Crowley is infamous in the esoteric community for a number of things, mm-hmm. Lamb being one of them, you know, oh, yeah. so there there's just like all these different things. It's like, how does he know about how did H.P. Lovecraft, you know, who 
lived in New England, I think, most of his life in the early 20th century. You know, how did this guy know about this stuff in Antarctica? You know, that ties into so much other stuff. Good question. You know, it's a it's a strange thing. I, I often wonder if there was some kind of talent or ability that Lovecraft had similar yeah. in the vein to Edgar Casey. Yeah. Was this somebody who was receiving images from the great depths of the cosmos, from these uncaring, ineffable beings that exist in the Cthulhu mythos and throughout the works of Lovecraft? I'd like to think that maybe there was something to that. Maybe he was a dark prophet yeah. of uh, forgotten gods. But, uh, you know, it's it's just fiction at the end of the day. You it know? is. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not anything you can prove, but right. there is there's something like there's a kernel to it that is just so it has the ring of truth to it in a very weird, like atomized Right, sort of right. when you hear it you know there's probably <laughs> something in there that's yeah, true because it's so different it's just yeah. so singular like no one else ever came up with to the best of my knowledge no one else ever came up with anything like what lovecraft came up with with these interdimensional no, very trans, yeah, yeah yeah you know these like translucent um you know uncaring uh super beings that are beyond ancient mm. beyond primordial like you had mentioned something that um that I have heard very few people mention uh, for the past 20 years that I've been studying this, which was the pre-Adamites. And uh, mm -hmm. which kind of, if if I'm tracking, uh, goes to the gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, mm -hmm. that there was a whole pre-Adamic civilization. Am I tracking on that correctly? I believe it. Yeah? Really? What do you think oh, about yeah. that? I don't doubt it for a second. I, I think that there were other people here. Yeah. You know, Cain was worried somebody was going to kill him. Right. Who else was around? Yeah. Pre Adamites. Yeah. Do you think they're you know, they were here? Uh, I, I, I don't think they were Bigfoot, but I think there were people. Yeah. I think that, you know, they could have been, you know, we get the stories of these various different species that inhabited the earth that were humanoid. And they're always trying to link these missing. Uh, these, uh, you know, missing gaps in the fossil record to evolution and, and whether or not you know, this ancient primate was more man than monkey. Mm -hmm. uh, so we see a lot of, of that in science. But at the yeah. same time, uh, science accepts the idea that our world was once populated by multiple species of humans. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, if we look at it biblically, I think that's the same kind of thing. You know, multiple yeah. species of humans lived on this planet. So the pre-Adamites may not have had that kind of relationship with the divine that was bequeathed to Adam and Eve, you know, these might've been the first in a new creation. Uh, yeah. So uh, were there other people running around scuttling across the face of the earth? I think that's the case. And I, I think that they were human, but not in the way we would compare ourselves to, you know, modern man, you know, they're not, right. They're not exactly like us. Maybe they're, maybe they, they, I've heard this saying about the uncanny valley, that the reason it exists is because at some point in our ancient past, we had to fear something that looked human, but wasn't. Oh, right. So maybe yeah. that's what these pre-Adamites were. Maybe that's something lost in our genetic memory that they had the appearance of a humanoid, but we're, we're different from us in some way. Mm -hmm. That's 
you know you know what that's so smart i never thought about that but 100 percent. Yeah. yeah there's gotta it's the same reason why most people have an intrinsic fear of snakes from mm -hmm. at least from you know if, if from an evolutionary perspective you know it's from when we were primates in the trees and you know the the snakes were our our main predators up in the trees or our main competition and so that genetic you know echo has trickled down you know i'm just afraid of snakes because uh I mean, it obviously didn't work out in the Garden of Eden, and I just don't <laughs> like it. So, and I was traumatized by Aladdin. So, you know. But <laughs> well, I'd like to. I, I'd like to ask you um, about Hollow Earth. So, oh, yeah. pretend I'm a total noob, a total normie, not yeah, a normie. anything cool, a normie. Yeah. Never. <laughs> pretend I'm an accountant, <laughs> and I have followed that path all my life. Uh, and uh, how would you describe? The theory of hollow earth and why would someone like hypothetical me want to even consider it like what's there? all right so the, the hollow earth theory goes back a long ways uh we're talking hundreds of years i think it might have been kepler who first postulated on the idea of the earth being hollow with concentric spheres within uh but the the theory wouldn't really take off until the 1880s. It was replete throughout literature of the time, literature that was trying to pass itself off as true stories, things like The Smoky God by Olaf Jensen, books like Edadorfa, The Strange Journey, Vril, The Coming Race, Journey to the Center of the Earth. You know, these books were, were speaking of subterranean worlds inhabited by intelligent beings. At the same time, there was a man named John Cleve Sims Jr. who had postulated that there were openings to this hollow earth at the poles. And he took every penny he could get his hands on to pay for postage, to write to every prince, parliament, and president in the world to try to raise money for a hollow earth expedition to the South Pole. Oh, that's now, right. He never achieved that goal. But what he did do was a lecture tour around these United States to spread his hollow earth theory. He would print pamphlets. He would do these lectures. He even had a globe made to use as a prop in his presentation featuring the openings at the poles and his tombstone to this day, no doubt, is a globe with a big hole in it. Now, why should anybody believe in this hollow earth theory? I don't think anybody should. I don't postulate... I'm sorry, I don't, uh, I don't propagate uh, anything uh, for the purpose of trying to convince people to believe in it, nor do I debunk anything. So I try to stay on that middle ground where it's, it's your choice to accept or reject any of the information I present. Mm. Yeah. But for me, the hollow earth is so fanciful, mm -hmm. uh, so fantastic when we talk about an inner civilization on this earth that has its stuff together in a way that we don't here on the surface. Yeah. A fantastic city called Agartha or refugees from ancient continents like the Muria inhabiting this inner world, perhaps intermingling with extraterrestrials using advanced technologies. Maybe there are extinct creatures from the surface still alive down there like woolly mammoth or rhinoceroses, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it really it opens the door to fantastic possibilities. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of new age kind of theosophical beliefs that creep into the hollow earth over time. 
you get the idea of it being the home of the ascended masters with the uh yeah, chief among them that. being not kumara the king of the earth uh this kind of ethereal being that uh uh, has transcended the mundane of our mortal lives and mm. become something more ethereal, something bigger, yeah. a spiritual creature. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, some of these ascended masters are still physical, like the Count of St. Germain, who is uh, a famous mm -hmm. immortal. He's also counted among these ascended masters. And all that comes from theosophy and the works of Helena P. Blavatsky, who really is... Uh, uh, kind of foundational when it comes to talking the Western esoteric tradition. She brings a lot of the beliefs from the East to the West in an age where people were ripe for spiritualism. Yeah, And her uh, exploration into these different occult sciences would ripple throughout the decades. Uh, and, and people would be referencing her work or incorporating her ideas into all manner of belief systems over the years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she kind of was the, the harbinger, you know, the bridge between the old world, you know, sort of new age philosophies and uh, into the Western world in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. it seems, because she's referenced a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, we always yeah. see her yeah, reference. I just, uh, I would love the idea of there being a hollow earth with an inner earth with this just vast array of different you know mm -hmm. it just the possibilities are endless like your imagination like as a writer your imagination can just like yeah, yeah, go yeah. wild sure, sure, you yeah. know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'd always uh like wanted to go back and redo the first heavenly realms novel instead of it being set in heaven have it be that pre-adamic world where like lucifer is given control over everything mm. and then he decides mm. to keep it for himself and there's the rebellion and then they have to like go into the earth to yeah. survive you know because there's Ooh, all that's that cool. that's well, cool i like that right like it's all in that mythology too that especially greek mythology of you know hades and tartarus and, mm -hmm. you know it's just uh it just it's replete throughout mm -hmm. throughout civilization so yeah and you know i'll tell you that uh what's interesting to me about what's under the surface of the earth is that we have not explored it at all. Not what? really. Well, we've drilled down maybe what, like eight miles. It's 4,000 miles to the core. Yeah. And they speculate that it's, you know, there's the crust, there's the mantle, there's the core. They don't know that mm -hmm. they have, they don't know, yeah. but we, but it's settled science. Right. You know, and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a contrarian. So anytime I'm told what to believe and there's really no good evidence or proof to support what I'm supposed to believe and I'm told to settle science, I default. I'm like, mm, no, there's probably something else there. <laughs> yeah. And the great thing about it, I mean, we've been to the moon, we've been, you know, you think about exploration and uh, imagination is what has driven exploration and discovery, not being told, nope, that's where the world ends. There's no more of it. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and uh, I th I think there's I don't think it's uh, anything like what we see in the little, you know, earth dissection diagrams. Mm -hmm. uh, there's got to be something down there. And what was really interesting, too, I was reading through the book of Enoch. And uh, <clears throat> one of uh, one of the visions that he has, uh, all of it's, you know, he's going to all these different, you know, astral and spiritual places and, you know, mm. hell. Or he's going to Tartarus. He's going mm -hmm. to, you know, heaven. He's seen all these places. And then he says, and then I went to a place where there was a mountain and it was made out of solid rock. 
and it was divided into three or four chambers, and that's where the souls of the dead were. He was describing Hades, and it was the only place in his visions where he described as being solid. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that it was interesting that the the chambers of the dead or whatever was uh, under the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. 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 What why do they why do hollow earth theories always kind of start with the idea that the the entrances are the poles could there not be yeah. other entrances? Well, there are other entrances uh, that are speculated. Uh, you'll see various hollow earth maps that might point to some of these different openings. Uh, some believe there's an opening at Giza uh, somewhere near the pyramids. Uh, oh, others believe okay. there's an opening at Mammoth Cave. Mm, yeah, I've been Kentucky. there. I've been in the cave. Uh, very yeah. deep mm -hmm. cave. Uh, yeah. There's also a belief there's an opening in the Nahane Valley in Canada. Uh, up in the uh, Great Continental Divide that exists up there, uh, there's a belief that there is an entrance to this hollow earth. Uh, it really was this John Cleve Sims, the aforementioned uh, lecturer, who cooked up the idea of the poles being the place where you could get into this hollow earth. So before him, uh, there really wasn't much in the way of uh, discussion about that. This yeah. was really his brainchild. Uh, then, you know, we, we get stories from World War II that make it all the more stranger. You know, obviously the Germans were down there. Uh, they were conducting recon for perhaps a military establishment. Some say they did establish a military base down there. Mm -hmm. That was still in operation after the war, which is where Admiral Byrd comes in and Operation High Jump, where they sent a contingent... Mm -hmm of military personnel down to the Antarctic for some purpose, but they wound up losing a couple planes, a couple boats sank. They limped back here uh, <laughs> talking about craft that could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. So perhaps there was some hollow earth activity going on there uh, that raises more questions than answers. It just really does. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now, now the uh, so Admiral Byrd, I remember Operation High Jump. Later on, it was discovered in his, uh, his journals, his diaries. Uh, later on, that he had had that experience where he believes he may have uh, flown into, you know, what we describe as Hollow Earth, and he sees these crafts. Right. Uh, but I, I always, uh, I was under the understanding that that was at the North Pole and not the South Pole. Do you know for certain? I've gotten. I, I've, I I've believe heard both it sides. was the South Pole because there, there really is no. There's no continent on the North Pole. The North Pole's just yeah. ice, you know. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. no landmass under it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the South Pole has landmass under two miles of ice, nonetheless. But you know, the North Pole's just icebergs. It's just floating ice. Yeah. yeah. So and it was in uh, uh, no landmass. That happened too, you know. His his in, uh, entry in his uh, journals, where he's describing that incident, he said that they the 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 flight log was February nineteenth, nineteen forty seven. That's our dad's birthday, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Is it really? Not to the year, but to the day of month. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but it was February nineteenth, nineteen forty seven, where he took that flight. Right. Uh, and I just find that fascinating because. 
four months later in Roswell, mm. something crashes that you know is identical to the description of Bird's description yeah. of the flying craft. Yeah. Mm. And I wonder if you've ever heard any theories about maybe the connection of those two events. Uh, no, I can't say that I have. Uh, I can't say that I have, but it does open an interesting door if there is a connection between those two events. Right. You yeah. know, uh, and, and there might be some stranger connections to the UFO phenomenon. You know, we mentioned Crowley a little earlier. He, he was in correspondence with another uh, man named Jack Parsons. Yes. Who, uh, Jack Parsons it, himself. Yep. Rocket program. He was, yeah, he was in the rocket program. Yeah. He was a practicing occultist. He was living mm -hmm. in this flop house in the 40s in Pasadena, California yeah. with L. Ron yeah. Hubbard and they were having all this back and forth right. over this particular woman. Uh, you know, they were spending money like ridiculous people and performing. What was the name of his group? Was it Babylon Rising? Is no, that right? Uh, the, the, well, the Babylon Working. Babylon that's that's Working. the ritual Thank they you. performed. That's the ritual, yeah. 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 But he was involved with the OTO, I believe. The Agreed. Ordo Templiaris uh, Orientis. If Are I'm they connected to Aleister Crowley? Well, he was a yeah. devotee of Crowley's, though, wasn't he? You're right. Yeah. Right. They were doing. Uh, they were writing letters back and forth. They were in correspondence. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Did and... it get delivered by Owl? <laughs> <laughs> like the Potter movies? Nah. It got delivered by Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what that UFO yeah. that crashed was doing. Maybe it was like the messenger. Dogman's yeah. at the mailbox, uh, chasing the mailman away. <laughs> but I've even right. heard speculation that the Babylon working corresponds with the first UFO sightings. That it wasn't mm -hmm. until the Babylon working was done that you start seeing these things in the sky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I disagree with that to an extent because of the great airship flap of the 1880s and people were seeing something back then. Of mm. course, there was the Aurora, Texas crash of 1891 and the Missouri River crash of 1885. So yeah. there were other incidents that predate this that kind of lead me in a different direction. But, you know, fascinating nonetheless. Yeah. And within the year of the Babylon working, both Al Gore and Hillary Clinton were born too. So I'm just, oh, just oh, throw that out there. Well, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Throw it out there. A little, a little uh, demon alien. Children. Yeah, the horror you know, yeah. We all know who she is. <laughs> Riding the dragon. Just put the red <laughs> robes on. Get on with it. <laughs> get on with it. Yeah. Um, well, that's uh, that was always the interesting thing about uh, about the Babylon working rituals. You know what Parsons was doing, what Crowley was doing was it seemed to be trying to use you know very very powerful human biological passionate neurological means to to open up some sort of pathway or doorway mm -hmm. you know to rend the veil as mm -hmm. it were mm -hmm. and uh i mean there's got to be a history of of that all throughout uh all throughout you know the mystery cults <clears throat> Absolutely. Know, of, of people doing that um because there are so many strange mystical things like one of the strangest things to me from uh from the bible is uh i mean there are tons of them but just you think about the incident with moses and uh and everything you know not just all the plagues of egypt but um but just throwing down the staff and the mm, the mm -hmm. combat with the magi mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. that they have and you know the staff turns into a snake and the mm -hmm. snake devours the other snake there's got to be some sort of <clears throat> Um, Pete, you could probably illuminate us on this. Uh, has there ever been any exploration into why, from uh, from an occultic sort of arcane esoteric standpoint, why those staffs transform into snakes? Well, the snake was a symbol to the ancient Egyptians. 
Yeah. You know, not only one of death and something to fear, but one of power as well. You know, you think of their, uh, and the name escapes me at the moment. Uh, there's a name for the serpent when it's placed on the burial mask. And uh, King Tut famously has the serpent on his burial mask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was not an uncommon creature for these people to be dealing with. And, and the story you're talking about of Moses, uh, this is where he in, contends with Janus and Jambres, the magicians of mm-hmm. Pharaoh. Now, mm-hmm. keep in mind, Moses was raised as the grandson of the Pharaoh and would have been initiated into all the Egyptian magics as mm-hmm. a child. So yeah. none of this would have been unfamiliar to him. Yeah. Uh, but Janus and Jambres, their story continues later on. Uh, they are in one apocryphal tale said to have breached the gates of heaven using magical talismans. Really? And they fight their way through seven levels of heaven before they encounter Metatron. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and then Metatron is finally one who expels them from heaven by tricking them into taking their talismans off. Uh, I always found this fascinating that these guys mm. get a, you know, a, a continuation to their story later on. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, snakes were familiar to them. Yeah. Uh, why, you know, uh, snakes, snakes come up in the Bible, you know, when the Israelites all get snake bites. Mm-hmm. And Moses mm-hmm. makes the brazen snake to hang up on the on the post, you know, so yeah. they look at it and they're healed. You know, snakes come up again and again. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill. Mm-hmm. Well, you look most at the medical, but uh, most usually. Ill, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's usually not good. Yeah. You know, well, and you use a medical symbol, you know, mm-hmm. with the with the dual serpents, you mm-hmm. know, and the that caduceus. The caduceus. caduceus. Yep. Yes. Yep. Thank yeah, you. The caduceus. Yeah. Uh, there is iconography that and this is something we we often like talk to gary wayne about too because he's done so much research into this but it's such an interesting topic to me there's iconography that just it reaches back into the depths of history and it Mm -hmm. always shows up in one form or another whether it's a certain kind of star or a certain uh geometric shape or a certain type of animal and uh and in all of these like mystery cults there's always this repeated thing and then it shows up in in um esoteric societies you know mystical societies masonic orders Mm -hmm. you know and then institutions and then you have in your pharmaceutical institutions or governments companies everybody like repurposes this imagery Mm -hmm. all throughout even in the modern world even in the modern western world you know and that's what always triggers you know my brain to wonder like it's like a red flag I look at that and I'm like, mm-hmm. why does that company use that symbol? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that symbol's from forever ago. <laughs> what are they doing? You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, what Masonic? One wonders you know, if it's intentional or accidental. At the end of the day, you know, yeah, is there's a little bit doing of that. With knowledge of the symbol, yeah, repurposing or kind of uh, appropriating the symbol for a different purpose, you yeah. know, or or is this uh, purely accidental that sometimes these things represent? Uh, symbols from bygone eras and from different belief systems i don't know yeah yeah what's interesting with the with the with the serpent on the staff you know moses erects it and then when the people look on it they're healed mm. you know and god told them to make that yeah you know and it ends up being the only artifact that later on when uh the israelites continue this pattern of like worshiping false gods or you know whatever it was the only artifact that they worshiped yeah it was the only artifact that wasn't an idol that they made yeah it's the only mm-hmm. artifact like 
Moses made or was given to them by, you know, their leadership. They, you know, he ended up having to destroy it later on, mm -hmm. but it kept leading the, it kept leading them astray. Yeah. Through the just like anything. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, the Egyptian imagery overall is really fascinating to me because, you know, going back to Antarctica, uh, there are mountains that are shaped as pyramids, right? There are pyramid mountains, and I looked at some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I looked at pictures of them. I look at renderings of them, and then I looked at them on Google Maps, and I'm like, that cannot be – that can't be natural. Right. And they're, like, all around yeah. the rim of mm -hmm. Antarctica. That is that is bizarre to me. Yeah. That is bizarre. What do you think? I mean – They're fortresses along the wall. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> what, what are some uh, What are some theories uh, that, that you're aware of around what the pyramids – the pyramids uh, ultimate purposes were well you know in antarctica there's this uh belief that atlantis or some great mother culture and we we'll just use atlantis as a placeholder for this mother culture existed uh yeah. there's a book i've been reading called the history of civilization x uh it talks about the jasherites and how they spread across the globe in this great civilization in ancient times and it's possible for me to believe that colonies of an advanced civilization of an advanced mother culture could have populated different areas of the world, bringing representatives of their archaeological of a, their architectural knowledge with them. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the reason we see pyramid structures around the world, whether they be the Bosnian pyramids, the Alaskan pyramids the Giza pyramids, the Mesoamerican pyramids, or the even uh, aforementioned Antarctic pyramids, I think they all come from the same place. I think there was a great mother culture that built pyramids, uh, that was versed in how to do it, that made them in the past. Yeah. Uh, perhaps even before the Egyptians came along, the pyramids were built and were discovered by the Egyptians and repurposed by the Egyptians. But uh, I think they're all over the planet. Hmm. I think that they mm -hmm. were put there by the same mother culture. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's uh, that's Graham Hancock's um, original hypothesis with fingerprints of the gods. You know, mm -hmm. he was one of the first ones. That's a great book. Um, it's probably been, I'm sure, you know, some of it has been course corrected or outmoded since then because it's been out forever. It's almost like. It's almost like there's chariots of the gods and then fingerprints of the gods and then the Genesis six conspiracy as far as like necessary, yeah. <laughs> you know, tomes for a lot of this stuff. And uh, his contention was that um, there was some sort of uh, ancient civilization that um, was brought to cataclysm 12,500 years ago. And he uses the Giza necropolis with Orion's belt. It's the whole, you know, symmetry thing. And then mm -hmm. the big one that always got me was the water erosion on the Sphinx, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That uh, and and water speaks volumes. It really does. Yeah, yeah. it speaks volumes. Um, and it's, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> it so speaks volumes. <laughs> but you know, it's like a, but that hadn't existed. There hadn't been enough water in the Nile Delta yeah. to create water erosion on yeah. that thing. And, yeah. And his whole contention was that it was um, it was originally a lion head, and it was uh, it was facing in the direction of the constellation of Leo. And mm -hmm. he does all. Anyways. All of that stuff, you know, you look at Machu Picchu, you look at the fact that you can't replicate the Giza necropolis these mm -hmm. days. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of in the Christian esoteric world, a lot of our contention is that this was the Nephilim 
culture, you mm-hmm. know, that pre-existed mm-hmm. the flood because it mm-hmm. was angelically inspired, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, I believe that the pyramids predate the the deluge. Yeah, and it ties in somehow with Atlantis and then a lot of these other fallen civilizations, these advanced ancient civilizations. There's something there. There's something there that's, you know, that is not talked about in our history uh, that whether it's covered up or ignored or ridiculed, it's just there's a mystery that has merit to it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating to to look into. In fact, that reminds me, I wanted to ask you if you have ever covered i couldn't remember if you had have you ever covered anything regarding tartaria pete never no No? never touched it don't know enough about it i i just discovered it uh i have a an aunt uh aunt jane she's originally from scotland and she lives down in florida and she's awesome we talk all the time she's into all this stuff and uh, she included (laughs) me into tartaria like uh you know back in i think november or something and i've been trying to dig into it ever since then and it is fascinatingly weird you know it's it's one of those (laughs) topics where like it you know people say that it originally was the there were no dark ages you know that between Mm -hmm. the fall of the roman empire and then the um the enlightenment there was that thousand year reign and that was supposedly uh the thousand year reign of christ from the bible and that we're now living in and during that time tartaria the empire of tartaria rose Mm -hmm. and that's where we get like a lot of the architecture that we've had for the past few hundred years it's bizarre. It's fascinating. And mm. I had never heard of it until I was 38 huh. years old. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah no. I've heard of it here and there. I've never really sat down to do the research into it. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's why I don't ever speak to it. You know, I, I, yeah. uh, I do think that it is uh, interesting. Yeah. I just haven't had the time to sit down and buckle down to, to really drill down uh, deep enough to have a working knowledge of it. Yeah. So I, I like to have a working knowledge of most of the nonsense that I talk about. <laughs> uh, before I start talking about it, you know, uh, and that's why I kind of leave Tartario off the uh, table for now. How long? Well, real quick, uh, we've had some really great comments, by the way. Jesse Miller at the Crow's Nest has been killing it with some really funny comments. I do want to give a shout out to uh, Way of Balance for uh, Antediluvian. So, in keeping with the creepy little book tradition, uh, Antediluvian is one of the buzzwords. Cheers. That, uh, you take a <laughs> sip from your soda that's pop, right. correct? That's mm-hmm. right. Yep. So, uh, antediluvian, nephilim, buckcherry. There are a bunch of them that uh, <laughs> that are fun. If you ever <laughs> want to like get everybody drunk who's watching it, you just like mention rapid fire, <laughs> all of the you know <laughs> all of the buzzwords. Um, how long does it take you to uh, to research a topic on average before you feel confident in doing a video? Good question. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the other videos that I used to make, I used to make these short informational videos, uh, the back yeah. catalog. It's still there. Evergreen yeah. videos. Uh, you can watch them at any point. They're still as relevant as the day I put them up. They don't really They're touch fantastic. on I love them. Yeah. anything beyond the subject matter at hand, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those, I would do about 30 hours of research, uh, you know, from beginning to end, scripting and memorizing and then filming and then editing the videos. Yeah. Uh, you know, for now, uh, you know, I, I do my best to kind of like scuttle around, get two or three hours in, you know, before my workday starts. Yeah. And then uh, when my workday ends, I, I kind of have a half hour and then I do the show. Oh, yeah. And your live stream, Creepy Little Book usually live streams nightly at 11 p.m. Central Time, midnight Eastern Time. Is that correct? Uh, no, it's 1 a.m. Eastern Time. 1 a.m. Eastern so- Time. 
So I, I think that would be midnight your time, right? It would. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's 1 a.m. Eastern Monday through Friday. I take the weekends off now. I used to do seven that's days right. a week, but that was killer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pete is a, a real workhorse when it comes to that. And, uh, dude, you got to have a life at some point, right? Now that you have kids. Yeah, really. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but during the week, small hours, once the small hours hit, once that witching hour hits, he yeah. comes out of the void. <laughs> I love it, too. Gandalfian's love it. Yeah, man. to lead everybody yeah. into the strange. So what got you into this? Uh, what yeah. what? What was the catalyst that said, you know what? I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to talk That's about all this stuff. Yeah. I'm going to share all this uh, stuff. It was pretty simple. I was a musician and then the band broke up and everybody started getting married and having kids. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to start a new band now. What am I going to do? <laughs> so <clears throat> I bought some equipment and I started podcasting. And this was about 10 years ago. So we did a, a, a brief stint with a podcast. It was like just me and a handful of friends drinking beers and talking. And, uh, you know, then I cut in some music and maybe we do a little audio skit like it was it was goofy. Uh, but we did 50 episodes of this podcast. It's gone now. I don't know where the hell I, I don't even think I have backups of the recordings. But uh, after that, I was like, you know, why am I not just doing a YouTube channel? So I was in touch with a buddy of mine who lived across the country. He was in Portland. I was in Philly. Uh, he was interested in doing something too, something along the lines of a podcast or a YouTube channel. Uh, we discussed it at length. I spent a year just doing research. Uh, then he moved back to Philly and we worked on a channel together called yellow cube. Uh, some of those videos are still up on my Patreon. Uh, we did, uh, you know, like excursions out to weird locations around Philadelphia really? that had strange history. Uh, we also did interviews with um, you know freemasons or rosicrucians mm. or you know anybody who was willing to talk to us but at the end of uh at the end of it all the uh i think the workload was a little more than he expected it to be uh, so he kind of hmm. walked away from the project and yep, then i said sure. to myself i've got all these ideas i know all this weird stuff like what am i doing with myself if i don't just pull the trigger and start the channel by myself yeah and that's what i did i spent about a thousand dollars on a camera and and backdrops and software and you know mm -hmm. stuff like that um and i just started making videos you know and that was you know, one thing, seven years uh, ago man. seven years ago that's right um because i've been trying to i've been trying to look at your old videos to find out how far back it goes yeah about 2015 2016 and uh correct me if i'm wrong but uh a lot of your videos are single take is that correct yeah yeah i don't use any jump cuts <laughs> Dude, that's awesome and that is such a rare it's really cool yeah did you would you spend a lot of time about you know half an hour or so like rehearsing beforehand or would you just jump right in and see if you can get it on oh i would just jump right in and do it wrong over and over again and film it 50 times you know that's what I'd we do with the live stream. Uh, you know, and, and i'd have these scripts at hand like it was really about remembering you know for me yeah. like and and i would use uh you know, mnemonic devices to kind of help me, you know, everything becomes a song for me. So yeah. when I needed to remember a script, I turn it all into a song and then it's all in my noodles. So I can, you know, spit it back out to the camera. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. The, uh, the performer skill set comes out as a singer. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was a lot of takes, lots of takes. Right. Yeah. That's one of those, uh, it's sort of like when I edit uh, a novel, I will, the final stage of editing is to read it out loud. 
And mm. like if there were and I would do that at my security gig even, you know, and mm-hmm. if there was like anybody around, you look like you sound like a lunatic, you know, like if you're <laughs> yeah. doing that in an apartment, you know, people are like, uh, I know he doesn't have anybody there. What is he doing? You Which know, to like, non-writers? Art. Never mind. Is he, like yeah. to non-writers, it probably smells like it, it sounds like you're smelling your own fart yeah. out loud. Well, I mean, I am, you know, and but, then, you, it, know. you know, responding to it out loud. But <laughs> right, yeah. uh, really, it does help because uh, readability and, you know, what yeah. you hear. I mean, that's going to play into the audiobook certainly. But, you know, in my case, I write kids books. So it's like people are going to be reading their kids this story aloud yeah. at bedtime. And it needs to, you know. I don't I want could, to get my murds wixed up and, you know, I want it to be right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I could see, so. uh, Pete, did you ever have like any experiences where you had like some neighbors who knew what you were doing and they'd be like pounding on the wall like, that sounded like crap. Do it again. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. Like that. <laughs> Use that one. It's good. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. I have a no, question just for a you. Lot, just a lot of cursing and, and doing things over and over. <laughs> yeah. A lot of repetition. Yeah. Yeah, occasional yeah. throwing of something, you know. Yeah. So you have you have a Patreon page, um, yeah. you're and this is coming from uh, a couple of guys that have just kind of gotten on this whole live stream podcast path, and you're way farther down the path than us. Um, you know, you got into Patreon a little earlier than we did. Is it still worth it? Should we do it? Mm. Does that really add value to what you do? You know, I mean. There's memberships on YouTube now, so it's kind of similar to what Patreon is. Right. Uh, I'm also on Subscribestar because some people don't like to use Patreon. Uh, you know, for you know, I don't know if it's you know moral reasons or political reasons or you know a combination of the two. But sure, you know, uh, you know, I think there's value to be taken from it, and you know, people like to support. Then I mean, you know, by all means, I encourage it. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, well and you also supplement with um you know obviously there are super chats in the you know in the live streams that are really good and then and then you have your awesome teespring page uh thank you yes yeah uh, yeah got a lot of weird merch inspired by the esoteric and the extraterrestrial like all the weird stuff we talk about has kind of inspired the merchandise so it's not really a bunch of shirts to say creepy little book over them. Uh, it's oh, more it's like awesome resist defeat reptilians, Hermes Trismegistus, yeah, defeat Moloch. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted the store to be bigger than the show, you know, so Smart. you don't necessarily yeah. have to be a walking billboard for the creepy little book yeah. when you pick up some apparel from the store. It's, you know, it's it's a wide variety of weird things. Yeah. Cool. Rather Very than cool. Self promotion. Well, that's what makes your um, your Teespring store so genius and uh, and so effective is that like, you know, I have I have the defeat Moloch coffee mug and it doesn't say creepy little book on it, it doesn't have like the logo or anything. It doesn't have uh, Spring Hill Jack on it or anything. It's just it says defeat Moloch and it's got this awesome image. And if anybody's ever like, oh, Moloch, yeah, I know about Moloch because of whatever, like mm-hmm. Adrenochrome and QAnon and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And you're like, yeah, you should check this channel out. It's from Creepy Little Book. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, it's a genius way of marketing. It's really yeah, very cool. nice. Thank you. Yeah, we like it a lot. I got so, another question for you. Yeah, you've been because uh, you mentioned uh, going around and uh, you know visiting strange places, doing interviews with like Rosicrucians and Masons and so oh, forth. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And if you don't want to share, you don't have to, but uh have you had any strange paranormal experiences when you're out doing doing any of that or since you actually since you've done started this journey doing creepy little book i've never had any personal experience of my own with the stranger unusual nothing i've never seen a ufo i've never encountered a spirit 
nothing. Interesting. Uh, I, so, you know, and, and it's like, well, why do I believe in the weird stuff that I do considering I've never had an experience? I hope to have an experience at some point. Mm-hmm. I think it would be strange and interesting. Uh, hmm. I don't actively go hunt. You know, I'm not like a ghost hunter in my spare time. I'm not a paranormal investigator. Right. I, I'm a researcher and a content creator. So, like, uh, yeah. you know, I, I generally just kind of pour the information into my noodle, try to, you know, regurgitate it in a succinct manner where people can understand what I'm talking about and yeah. hopefully be entertaining at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but I've never had any kind of experience. Uh, I'm jealous of people that do. Uh, I don't go out in the wilderness enough to meet Bigfoot. And my eyesight's not not keen enough to catch these UFOs with all this light pollution around here. My wife grabbed my arm last night. We got home from uh, this little thing we were doing. We got home and there was a there was a light zipping around in the sky sporadically and it freaked her out. She's like, what is that? And she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. Right. I mean, she's really grounded, but she's like, oh, my gosh. What is that? What is that? What is that? And I'm, I'm like, is helicopter? She said, no, no, look at the move. And it was like darting back. Is it forth. like a drone? And it, it had red cool. lights and green lights. I'm like, yeah, that's a drone. You can relax. <laughs> Someone's little radio <laughs> drone. Like, drone. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to tell her, oh my God. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's right. a UAP. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a uh-huh. UFO. We better get inside and start yeah, better, praying. Yeah, get inside and get the holy water. Grab your Bible. Let's go. <laughs> Where's Mel Gibson when Good you job. need him? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Well, you know what it makes me think uh most people who who delve into that stuff on uh on a personal level like i know a lot of girls who have like messed around with ouija boards uh, I was gonna and then up, yeah. they have and then they have like pretty dark stuff happening yeah spooky you know and i personally you know i dissuade people from ever messing with it's that a shortcut to having an experience you don't want to have yeah and i can't I help but wonder ouija like, board for halloween did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like me and my Careful. wife. We, we, I put the camera on. We they were understaffed that night. The devils and, uh, were understaffed that night. You got lucky. Nothing <laughs> happened. Um, I didn't yeah. expect anything to happen. I don't believe in Ouija boards. I don't think that it's like, I don't think that the $2 piece of balsa wood that this Ouija board is made of is a conduit to a spirit world like (laughs) yeah i just don't think it's got milton bradley stamped on it i just it's it's like (laughs) it is is it is as asinine to me as uh as insinuating that the yo-yo is a martial arts weapon the same way (laughs) that a ouija board can open the gates of hell Listen, you don't know how many. How Look, many if it's made in China, it ain't going to work. That's the bottom line. It ain't gonna open no <laughs> gates to anywhere. Right. Now, yeah. if we're talking about a tree that got hit by lightning and then we carved the Ouija board from that wood and, oh, yeah. and okay. you know, that that's yeah. a different story. But yeah. I, I just I don't think the mass produced talking boards, you know, <laughs> you don't think that are, there's like some black robed lambs blooded covered altar yeah. staff wielding <laughs> is standing in the Milton and Bradley factory. Assembly line. Every board is the good. It's just not happening. <laughs> uh, that's great. I can't help but think that there is like a team of expert warrior angels that is surrounding Pete and his family at all times being like, not today, not today <laughs> demons. That's right. Not today. Right. You sons of whores. We've got, <laughs> <laughs> Which they are technically. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. I mean, we believe. Yeah, yeah. demons, nephilim. Nephilim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're almost out of time, or we're over time. So I apologize. I do want to ask like one final, just sort of funny question. Okay. What is your What is your favorite 
topic that you've discovered or that mm. you've covered mm -hmm. and then as a polar opposite of that what's like the dumbest one you've ever covered Great question <laughs> the dumbest one i ever did was probably the red ghost of arizona red ghost of arizona okay yeah the red ghost of arizona this takes place in the 1880s uh this uh family uh, on a homestead i guess the men folk go out to tend the sheep the ladies are left behind with the kids Okay. They uh, then uh, one of the women goes down to the water to wash clothes when they hear a terrible scream and they look out the window to see the devil riding on the back of a red monster trampling this woman to death. So they lock themselves in the house and they wait for the men to come back. These men come back. They find her all trampled. They see cloven hoof prints all over the place. She's obviously dead. I mean, something killed her. So then for the next 10 years, the stories of the devil riding on the back of this red monster kind of propagate around the area of Arizona. Mm -hmm. Different people see it. They take shots at it. You know, they try to kill it. It, it doesn't die. Uh, uh, eventually, somebody did shoot the rider and take its head off and, and found it to be a skull. So these 10 years go by of all these different sightings of the red ghost until one day this farmer sees the red ghost of Arizona in his turnip patch and he levels his rifle on the windowsill, takes mm -hmm. a shot at it. And finally somebody kills the red ghost of Arizona. And it turned out to be a camel from the U S camel Corps. <laughs> back then they reported all these camels for the army to use. It makes sense. It's Arizona. Yes. So uh, this second. camel had gotten away. Uh, and apparently somebody tied somebody to the camel who who died <laughs> because the body was still tied to it the head was gone from a previous shooting but yeah. it, it still had the human remains tied to it it had been this animal was an in incredible pain you got to figure these ropes oh, were cutting into bad. its skin uh it, it it had to be driven mad by the pain it was in from having this dead rider tied Poor to camel. it yeah the smell you so, know you uh, smell yeah, it the yeah. red ghost of arizona turned out to be a camel <laughs> That's you know, awesome. I just love the fact that once upon a time there was a U.S. Camel Corps. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> smart, smart move. Yeah. So that, that is probably so the dumbest awesome. one I've ever done. Um, <laughs> as far as my favorite stuff, I, I just love the UFO phenomenon. Yeah. I love the yeah. mythology, I'd rather say, around the UFO phenomenon. Uh, you know, the idea of these contactees in the 50s and 60s who were talking yeah. to our space brothers who wanted to avoid nuclear war to the abductees of the 80s and 90s who were being taken for hybrid alien space programs. Yeah. You know, I love the mythology yeah. around yeah. the UFO phenomenon. It is so deep and so weird. And it connects the hollow earth with these ascended masters from theosophy when you talk about things like the Ashtar Galactic Command, the space cops right. who defend Earth from the evil reptilians, you know, yeah. I mean, it's real space opera at the end of the day, but it I is. love it. Yeah, I yeah. eat it up with a spoon. I can't get a it. <laughs> it's like Oreos yeah. in a bowl with milk on it. I just, yeah, you know, all about it, you know. Well, well let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think, uh, in, in your opinion, do you think official disclosure is coming anytime oh, yeah. soon yeah. never i think first contact will come before disclosure yeah Ooh. So. yeah i think we, I think we so. will see even more shocking on their own mm -hmm. before the government will ever admit anything they've been hiding yeah yeah because they've had so many opportunities along the way to do so Why you know, it's been 80 years almost so yeah. i mean they're not mm -hmm. going to come up with the truth at this point 
unless you know it's like they're backed into a corner and here come the moon men like once the moon men are here then i think you would see an effort to declassify what the government there there would probably be hearings to see what the government knew over the years but i think first contact is is more likely than disclosure you know the interesting thing about that too is that if disclosure happens like you say and you're probably right uh, before or if if uh, arrival and revelation happens before disclosure, uh, there probably will be some truth and reconciliation hearings about the oh, yeah. cover ups. You know, absolutely. I mean, uh, talk talk about Moon Men. I haven't really heard much about heard much about that. Oh, I use Moon Men as a catch all for aliens. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay, never mind. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. So if I'm right. talking about Moon Man, I'm just I just mean aliens in general. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah you know it's interesting. Uh, you know, from the Roswell incident, you know they describe or someone describes that it was like one of the Greys when they described right. the body. Right. So they were taken Greys. You know. You know. Uh, but but Admiral Byrd's description wasn't of the Greys. The people piloting that craft with the tall blonde. The Pleiadians. The yeah. The, the Nordics. Nordic. The Pleiadians. Yeah. Yeah. The Nordics. yeah. 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 Yeah, I did an episode where I, I covered as many species of aliens as I could fit into an hour. I think it's called uh, Extraterrestrials A to Z. Oh, but, cool. uh, Interesting. but I covered as many as possible uh, that I could from digging through various uh, sources on these kind of things, uh, where I covered all the different grays and the different reptilians. And the the lyrans yeah. are cat people. Uh, yeah. You know, the orange, the blue avians, yeah. they're bird people, I believe. Uh, you know, uh, there's uh, all, all manner of strange creatures out there. Yeah, yeah, there's a menagerie. You know, do you think any of the cryptids that are reportedly sighted are? Yeah. It could actually be Bigfoot, uh, one, of those, men, one of those one of those races man. of extraterrestrial. Uh, I think the Dover demon that was spotted in uh, Dover, Massachusetts, was it Dover, Massachusetts? Uh, very well, might have been an extraterrestrial. Uh, mm. It had the appearance of one. You know, bulbous head, big eyes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think some of the Mantis Man sightings in New Jersey could be an extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think cryptids are native to the Earth. You know, mm-hmm. uh, at the very most, we're talking ultra terrestrials in the form of like trolls and fairies and gnomes yeah. and leprechauns and goblins and those kind of things. What about rakes? Uh, what about rakes? Because they kind of have the appearance of almost like a gray. I don't know. What would you? What would they kind of I'm under the impression that they're just creepypasta. I don't I don't really think there's much of a phenomenon to back that up you know it's like things right now could these creatures that are the creation of fiction become tulpas or thought forms and then manifest in that way uh that is a possibility uh if there is enough Mm -hmm. intent to create them as uh let's say essentially non-corporeal intelligences Mm -hmm. separate from the tulpa mancer so yeah there's there is kind of a connection there Okay. Yeah. There was always kind of the thing with uh, with angelic mythology as well. Biblical angelic mythology was that like the angels could take on forms of whatever they wanted, mm-hmm. whether it was human or possibly animal. You know, there there is a, a an ethereal, non corporeal to corporeal transmorphification sort of nature to a lot of this stuff. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, Bigfoot. Yes. No. Pete. Animal. Yeah. Animal? animal okay, okay. Animal. that's a cool answer because that's always the the thing is like is it a pre-adamic holdover is it a nephilim creation you know is it is a it gigantopithecus yeah i think it's an undiscovered north american ape 
You know, I, I don't think yeah. it's anything more fantastic than that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I've talked about, you know, is Bigfoot an extra dimensional being? Is Bigfoot an alien? You know, yeah. is Bigfoot a secret government project? Now, I think Bigfoot is an animal. Uh, yeah. I think the government might be aware of Bigfoot. Uh, there's a story that comes from a Battle Mountain forest fire back in the 90s where some Washington. National Guard you know, reported that they mm-hmm. had treated yes. injured Bigfoot from the forest mm-hmm. fire. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think that they're just animals. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> they're there smart. Are a lot of stories. I think, you know, they're like dolphins in some regard, but I, oh, I do yeah. think they're animals. You know, who was like, it that uh, communicated with dolphins? Was it Terrence McKenna when he would take his heroic doses of, uh, of LSD? Is he the one who would communicate with Bigfoot? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe maybe if you take enough DMT, you can communicate with Bigfoot. Heroic I'm doses. Like, well, no, I'm not about to do any of that. Me neither. I yeah. that wouldn't we're come not, back right. Yeah, we're not condoning <laughs> right. the use of hallucinogenic <laughs> drugs. Right, yeah, yeah. But I did like that phrase. That was nice. Psychonaut. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, Psychonaut. Yeah, there's a there's a great old PC game or uh, uh, Xbox game uh, called Psychonauts. That's a lot of fun to play. Interesting. Like, yeah. Interesting. Anyways, um, dude, Pete, thank you. I, I know we're well over an hour. I apologize for being. Oh poor, no problem. Uh, thank you so much for having time. me, guys. I really Man, appreciate it's it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank it's, you. It's been a dream of mine for like a year and a half to two years now. It's <laughs> been so yeah. much fun. Yeah. Um, where, uh, just for our audience real quick, uh, where are the best places for people to find you, Pete? Uh, well, you can check me out right here on YouTube. I do a show Monday through Fridays at 1 a.m. Eastern standard time where we delve into different subjects from the strange, everything from the esoteric to the extraterrestrial, the spiritual to the supernatural, all that lies between. Uh, I also make content on other platforms like Odyssey, BitChute, and Spotify, uh, you can also find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, uh, you know, uh, as we mentioned, the uh, the, the great uh, merch store, uh, if you want to check that out, too. Are all your channels, uh, like on, if, on Odyssey and BitChute, Spotify, are they all Creepy Little Book? Everything's Creepy Little Book, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, you Everywhere find links you to all of these creepy. on the YouTube page, too. Yeah, yep. perfect. Yep. Awesome. Well, Pete, you are... Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show, maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, Also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, We do this once a month now. Um, All this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness.